Bombs over Baghdad. Bombs over Baghdad. What is that? It's a real, it's a real song. From it's a real tune. From Bombs home. over Baghdad. Who is it? From? Who, who, who recorded that? Uh, who did record that? It's like sounds years like something old now. Sounds like something the Clash might do. Uh, Outcast, yeah. Uh, oh, Outcast, really? Outcast. Bombs over Baghdad. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, so, what do you want to talk about today? Uh, so what did we talk about today? What did we already talk about today? <laughs> All right. I remember where we started? Started talking about social media, man, and like the oh yeah. The, there's a lot of things circling around. I wasn't. I didn't think we were going to talk about that at all. I was going to talk about. Uh, well, actually, what's funny is I what I w- did want to talk about that we didn't get to, but we kind of in a circuitous way went around was. Uh, I am not really good. I don't feel like I'm very good at any social media platform. I'm not good at them. I don't feel like I have uh, there's something about many of them that don't make sense to me in a lot of ways. Mm, and I interesting. And I was going to ask you what I was going to talk to you about. We never got there was uh, your experience basically becoming Twitter famous and how you kind of moved through and did that only because I feel like I'm doing similar like I make videos on TikTok and some of them get tens and even hundreds of thousands of views but I have very few followers and the platform as a whole kind of like I get it I understand that it what it's for but it's also it just feels like it's just odd to me like I I don't I'm not like good at it if that makes any sense mm. well you know I've never I've never analyzed you, what you actually do and that kind of surprises me because you know, you have the character traits of someone who would be very good at it because I think you have right. the same basic character traits that make me good at it or have made me good at it in the past, which is, you know, ability to communicate. My guess is, uh, and this is just a guess, my guess is that your, quote, weakness, or not a weakness, but what you're not doing, which is something that I could not recreate myself now, which is why the success that I've enjoyed in the past, I've not been able to recreate it in recent years, because I'm not willing to do this one thing. Fucking live on the platform. Yeah, you just have to be there all the time. That was that was the thing that I did that I think was unusual when I did it. I'm not, I'm not saying I was the only one that did it. Of course not. But I mean, I looked around. It was like I didn't see anybody that I felt was on more than I was. You know, I was just engaging on everything all the time. I, was, I think I told you the story about how in my first year on Twitter, I averaged something like 44.25 tweets per day. Yeah, that's just nuts, man. That's and so I have many. not written forty-four tweets in the past four years combined. Damn, bro. So, so there you go. I mean, like, it, I was, I was just addicted to it, and and I was only into Twitter at that time, and I was arguing with people saying, "Oh, Facebook's great," and I'm like, "Oh, fucking Facebook sucks," even though I've never <laughs> spent a second there. I was, you know, defending my turf, uh, but the, what I think's made it super hard now is the fact that. Um, certainly, and this just gets more and more the case as time rolls forward, there are too many platforms. There are just too many platforms. Oh, yeah, it's just there's too many places to spend your time. Exactly. And if you if you spent the requisite amount of time that you really would need to to be the kind of, you know, quote, success on any one of those things, you would literally not be able to have a job. You would You would just be on it all the fucking time. And you look around at the people who are crushing it today – and I think that, you know, the first guy that comes to mind for me is Gary Vee, who yeah. has a, a team of people that do all that for him. I mean, he's, he's, he is busting ass, don't get me wrong. But, yeah, but he's created a whole company just trying to get that shit done. Exactly. 
and, and you know, I've watched his team. Like they they put out something that I thought was really good. In fact, it's on my home. It's on my home on my home um, my home screen on my iMac. It's a PDF uh, that his team put out of you know how to create how to create seventy pieces of content from every single thing you do. But it's yep. it's overwhelming. It's like I mean, even for me, who's had you know a, a lot of success with exactly that kind of thing in the past. But it, I I sit and think. Okay, I can I can tell how about that. That would take about ten minutes. That would take about seven minutes. That would take about thirty minutes. That would take about two minutes. And you add all that up, and it's all you would do. Yeah. So it's a, it'd be, it's a, it would be a full time job. Yeah, it really would. And and even even though now you know we actually well you would never have time. This is what is insane to me about this is like there's all these people who are trying to get famous on Twitter and TikTok and everything. all kinds of BS. And they're not even do, like. There's a part of me that's like, what are you even trying to get famous for? You haven't developed any skills worth people paying attention to, right? Like, yeah, just doing the whole of it is the point. And this is where TikTok is like, kind of the worst of these offenders because it just like, it makes you believe that you're gonna get famous because it's like, oh man, your video got saw, seen by a hundred and twenty thousand people. And like, there's there's TikTok is littered with people who have lots of followers i mean i'm not saying it's not worth doing um but they're, they're like just tons of followers and just no like lots of engagement bunch of followers but like what does that net any of these people like some of these people have gotten like mega famous and have like deals with disney and shit but right. like how many tiktok of the whole point is you can start up and start dancing on video and now you're famous yeah like that's what people want is, and like, then what it's like the end game of the, everybody gets 15 minutes of fame or something. Well, I think that's, yeah, I think people go into it without really doing the analysis in terms of, like the place that I would start this entire like conversation if we were actually having this conversation in a long form would be Google the income levels of the top 10 YouTube people. Mm. Because some of those people literally make millions per year. They do, some of them. But yep. you're talking about six or seven or 12 or nine people. And then it drops off dramatically after that. You know, it's like, oh, it's yeah. like, it's like, honestly, a, I think a good analogy is comedy. It's like, you know, there's a lot of people who do comedy, but how many people are like super wealthy from it? Mm. Uh, it's, it's a very, t very, very small percentage. And secondly, I would say, if I, if my goal today was to like get back into that, because I've actually thought about that. My first thought would be, I'm picking one platform. I'm not saying I won't be on other platforms. I'll be on. But all... I'm just gonna pick one to devote to. Yes, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm either gonna be a YouTube person or a podcaster or whatever it is. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put eighty percent of my eggs in that basket, and then everything else I do is just gonna be basically the amplification of what I'm doing in that in that whatever my chosen social media platform is. That's what I do. It's almost like you create your own ecosystem where if you have enough followers on one thing, eventually they'll start bleeding over to other things you do. Yeah. I, but yeah, I, I, think, I think, though, a big key is you have to develop some metrics that get people's attention. It's like, whoa, this guy has how many followers? And, I, and yeah. believe me, I hate, the, I hate that that's the case because to me that's, you know, that's kind of the that's, – that's not what I really believe in. Like if you're just going after follower count – but yep. the hard reality is I think you almost have to just to be taken seriously. And then once you get to a certain level, and I, and I think of a PewDiePie as the perfect example of this for me. When I discovered that guy, 
I literally couldn't believe it. It's like, wait a minute. People think this guy's good? Like, yeah. And but, people love him, dude. But but I've watched a bunch of his shit. Well, why have I? Only because of the numbers. Because it's like, yeah, there, there's got to so be something famous, here. Like, something's got to be here. Exactly. Right? Exactly that. Yeah. Something's got to be it, here. It's, it's, it's quantity has a quality all of its own. I totally agree with that. I think quantity does have a quality all its own. And we should have a much longer conversation about this, actually. Let's move on to uh, what else is going on with you? What else is new? What else has happened recently that you want to talk about? Somebody in the in the meeting we had, we had like a company-wide lunch meeting that we do like kind of every week to, to just chill, you know, to just have everybody right. together and chill and out. Uh, it's actually kind of fun. Somebody said, somebody pronounced the stove pumice as pumice. <laughs> really? And they said it like, seriously like several times oh it's like yeah it's got a really good you know it's really good soap it comes with volcanic pumice we're like what and he's yeah yeah pumice yeah you know it's uh it's like volcanic pumice it really cleans your cleans your hands when you're done doing auto work and everybody like paused just to, just to kind of catch up and then i said you know dave it's actually pronounced pumice <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we were playing a uh, we were playing a game of trivia, you know. That's what we we were ended, ended up doing that at this meeting. And they go, "What holiday should never be forgotten?" And then there are like three choices, which are just what don't matter. And then there's one that just says 9/11. <laughs> That's a holiday. Yeah, I was like, what the "Hey, what are you guys doing for 9/11 day this year?" Well, we're gonna do the usual, having a cookout and fun games for the kid, pin, a pinata, a couple of big, big pinata towers in the back that we're gonna. <laughs> We're going to throw some midgets at to knock down. It'll be a really fun time. Awesome. Um, then afterwards, we go into the neighbor's yard and start a 14-year-long war with them. <laughs> um, so th it says that, and then I go, hey, um, I'm like, you know, guys, 9-11, also known as an inside job. And then nobody, like no zero laughed. people laugh on the call. <laughs> what it's like to be a, com a, a comic right now. You know, oh, it's so, dude, it's it's impossible to be a comic right now, but it's just impossible to have a sense of humor, period. I know I was on another lunch meeting that we had, and they were talking about crime in the city of Chicago. And I was like, yeah, actually, crime in Chicago is pretty bad. It's it's really bad. It's actually the worst it's been this summer for the last, like, 30 years or something. Right. It's um. Have you been murdered yet? So the down... I have not been mur murdered yet, and I keep wondering why. When Did you check the turn? list? Did you, you know, they have a so, website you can look it up and say, oh, shit, it's going to be August 18th. Murder.com. <laughs> yeah. You're murdered in Chicago.net. Uh, Actually, I'm sorry. It's, so, dot, it's dot edu. Cause it's you know, this is real reverse racism because when I looked up when will I be murdered.net, it's like all black people on there. Pretty wow. ridiculous. <laughs> wow. That is bad. I, so that's very much like the joke I got in trouble for, actually. Well, that one, so, actually, I can understand you getting in trouble for that one. So I said, I didn't say that. I said, um, we were talking about it. And I said, when I first moved to Wrigleyville in north side of Chicago, I, my downstairs neighbor is a Cook County sheriff. And he said, go, you know, you should really check out this website. You, you need to be aware of all the crime going on in the neighborhood. It seems like a safe place, but it's actually, there's a lot of crime here. Uh, you need to go check out crime in Wrigleyville, boystown and Wrigleyville.com. It's like the police blotter where they keep track of all of these stories. And... So I look it up and sure enough, there was like tons of crime going on just in the whole area. And it's 
it's mostly good to look at because it's between a certain number of hours. Like if you're not out of your apartment by yourself at like one thirty in the morning, right. wandering around, you're pretty much fine. Uh, but it was disturbing to see all of this. Like, holy shit, there's like break-ins all over the place. Um, including my next door neighbor who got held up at gunpoint in her own apartment. And I overheard that entire, entire thing, which is crazy. I'll tell you about that in a second. But anyway, I noticed when I looked at this website, it was not a varied number and type of suspects. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh man, look at this, this is a real color of the rainbow in terms of people who are robbing. So I wrote this joke that I did on stage uh, only a couple of times because its response was, I think it's hilarious, but it's the audience did, did, did not know what to do with it. And the joke was, man, you know, I'm looking at all this crime and I think to myself, man, this crime in the city of Chicago is going to plummet after they catch this 6'2 black guy. And <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> I know, right? I know. And so I'm aware that it's, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of what that joke sounds like. But I think part of the reason I think it's hilarious is because it's obviously ridiculous. Right. And the second part of it, though, is that it's like it's also not untrue. Like, go look at the website. It's like it's it's the same description for everybody. So it's weird to me because I well, think it's Well, that's bullshit. because all of the people who've been victims of crime are racist. Yeah, I've, clearly. And so more than any other thing I've said on this podcast, this is what's going to get me in trouble. You know, I talk to my friends about it, my comedians, and- they're all like, dude, you need to try this out on stage. Like, that's hilarious. And so I say it a couple times on stage, and it's just clear that it's just way too, way too, way too soon incendiary to say yes. in, in the city of Chicago. It's another one of these jokes that as soon as I get outside the city and I make that joke, as long as the audience is aware that I'm not a fucking racist asshole by this point in the, you know, right. stand up set, it goes off really well and people really like it. But in the city, it's like everybody just goes, what are you trying to say? I'm like, what I'm trying to say is that there's a bunch of crimes committed by the same looking person. I think that's pretty clear. I don't think I have, I don't think I'm saying anything more than that. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I, it's mm. just so weird. Like, there's a, but because it's, because race plays a part in the joke, it just is way too incendiary. So I said that, I didn't say the joke, I explained the joke in it, prefacing it with, I'm aware that this sounds nuts, and also I don't do this joke anymore for reasons that will soon become apparent. And so I, I, did, I didn't say the joke. I explained the joke in the lunch meeting. And I have a pretty cool team, so I thought, hey, this would be fine. Everybody else pretty hip here and uh, will understand that it's a joke. And I'm explaining it. I'm also not telling it seriously. We've also worked together for months. And it was just like silence after I said it. And I was like, okay, great. Well, this is where I get fired. Yeah, that's how bad it is, man. I mean, I forget who it was. It was, you know, some famous comic was just talking about what it's like to be a comic right now. And... I don't know. I don't know what you can cover. A key element of things being funny is that they are edgy. You know what I mean? It's like, yep. oh, in fact, the, whoever this was that was describing. Oh, I know who it was. Jim Jeffries. Is that his name? Yeah. yeah. Have you Jim seen Jeffries. his latest special? Uh, no, have not. It's good. He's the first comic that I've seen. You know, since we've entered this era of po hyper political correctness, who has just come straight like head on at it. And he, he does that in this special. And like at one point he, he says, uh, you know, you, you millennials, you millennials, you are the worst motherfucking people in the history of <laughs> earth, you motherfuckers. And he says a lot of stuff like that. And the reaction yeah. from the crowd is interesting because they do laugh. 
but you can feel, you know, you can feel like what, people bought Jim Jeffries tickets thinking like, oh, this will be cool. We'll, we'll, we'll go to a Jim Jeffries recording. And they had no idea he was going to be coming straight at them. Yep. Yep. And like, uh, it's like a roast, except you as the audience member are being brought on stage and sat down in the chair. You yep. had no idea you were about to get roasted. <laughs> exactly. And he talks about how a comic's job is to figure out where the line is, you know, the line that's acceptable for, for humor and to come right up to that line and as close yeah. to it as possible without going over it. And, you know, it's an inexact science. And uh, he talked about how to be persecuted for something you did 10 years ago or eight years ago or seven years ago, the line was different then. The line was in a different place. So yeah. to be held accountable or responsible or to be open to criticism because you, your sense of humor, which at the time was appropriate, suddenly is no longer appropriate. I yeah, it's not like we're talking about fucking atrocities either. I know. You know what I mean? It's not like you. It's not like you burned down the the village of Mylai, and, to, to, right. and you know, seven years later, we're discovering that that yeah. happened. Yeah, there are no Vietnamese like you, girls running from napalm naked. No Vietnamese girls were hurt in the in the making of these tweets. Look, the line might have moved and whatever. Like we we could look back at Kevin Hart and go, was Kevin Hart homophobic? I don't think Kevin Hart was ever homophobic. Was it? insensitive to make a joke about violence to your son because he's going to come out as gay. I don't know. Maybe. Do I think Kevin Hart would do that? No. Do I think reasonable people can accept and understand that that's a joke? I mean, that was Dave Chappelle's entire point. He goes on stage in one of his specials and basically just breaks that joke down into its various points to be like, how fucking dumb do you have to be to think Kevin Hart was serious when he said this? Right. Like, and, and how, and how, completely shallow do you have to be in order to take it seriously now and make a big deal out of it yeah but nobody could anticipate at least i don't think the so. level of of shift yeah, in terms yeah. of culture nobody could here. well nobody could nobody yet yeah, that definitely but nobody could uh, predict that social justice warrioring would become a sport because it effectively yeah. has become a sport i think i told you the story when we were talking about how facebook uh, just literally overnight declared all of our ads, really rejected all of our all, all of yeah, our advertising. Deep six all of our ads, yeah, yeah. Which I told you that's been rectified since. But uh, in the context of that, I told you I joined several different Facebook groups about Facebook advertising. Mm -hmm. And I think I told you this, but I had this fairly, you know, moderately extended exchange with an, a young, she's 25-year-old 25 25-year-old 25 African-American woman. I told you about that? No. Okay, well, what happened was the the podcast that triggered all this was the Why Are French Kids So Much Better Than American Kids, that one. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. And so I, you know, I wrote a fairly long post in this group explaining in pretty good detail what, what, what I had done. The, I included the title of the podcast. I also made reference to the fact that we've had all kinds of other podcasts we've done that were much more incendiary and controversial in my opinion just on their face yeah. you know just the title and i explained the fact that i, I could understand how kind of somebody might take issue with that but i just didn't think it crossed the line especially in comparison to things that we had already done that were that had been approved by facebook multiple times you know I, i've run ads on a number of our podcasts more than once yep because i just what i do is i run an ad if it does well i typically run it again yep so anyway I'm getting comments from people, most of which are just trying to answer my question honestly. And then this woman jumps in. I think her name was Shakira. And Shakira said... Um, Shakira, Shakira! Yeah. She said something like, 
you're really self-absorbed if you don't see why that title was inappropriate. What? Yeah. And we went back and forth, and my memory is so shitty that I can't recall all the details. But she continued to comment, and she just kept basically saying the same kind of thing over and over, like, you know, how fucking dumb is this guy? And I wouldn't take the bait. Her parting shot was, she said, and remember, she's referring to this title, which was, Why Are French Kids Better Than American Kids? And she said, to, th to throw an entire class of kids under the bus is despicable. What? And this is after I'd explained that it's a, it's humor. I said this is a, this is comedy, and yeah. it's intended to be controversial. It's so crazy how things have have gotten you know. And it, did you by any chance watch or did you? I you mean, know, you're aware of the fact that um, Zuckerberg and Bezos and oh yeah, and uh, the dude from Google. Yep. And the dude from, I can't recall who the fourth was. Did you watch any of it? I only watched bits of it, and quite frankly, a lot of it was embarrassing. Like, when you look at it and you're like, these are our representatives. Like, they're asking these questions. Like, <laughs> well, a lot of these guys, like, don't even understand how any of this stuff works, it well, seems like. that was true. That was true the last time Zuckerberg was in the similar position. And, and I agree with you in that context because there was lots of questions where Zuckerberg's answer was like, well, that's because we sell ads. That's what yeah. we do. I mean, there was. I agree with you. There was a there was a high level of ignorance as it related to the subject matter. That I didn't think that was really true in this case. And I have never in my life. Well, maybe going back to like Watergate, which is so ahead of your time. I mean, I know you're savvy. You know what that is. But I don't think I've ever watched any government proceeding in its entirety. But I watched this one. I didn't even know it was on. I literally stumbled upon it the minute it started. Literally the minute it started. I watched the whole thing, and. I got to tell you, dude, I mean, the, the questions were pretty good from, not from everybody, but there were a lot of good questions that were asked. And uh, there was quite a bit of stuff that was unearthed that was very damning for those companies. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, because like the Google CEO in particular was, it was like he was just a punching bag. And I'd never even seen the guy interviewed before. I didn't, even, I didn't even know what his name was. You know, he's just the most mild mannered. I think he's Indian. Yep. Is super mild mannered, very soft spoken, and how many times he said, "Well, I'll be glad to have my office get in touch with your office." And at some one point, somebody snapped and said, "I'm tired of you saying that. Just answer the yeah. damn question." Actually, the most interesting thing of all to me was there was only one person who I felt who who came across to me with a shred of integrity, and guess who it was? It was Bezos. Yes, yes, he was the only one who on multiple occasions volunteered an answer that was not in his best interest. Yeah. And he did it he did it multiple times. Like he'd say, you know, I got to be honest with you, I don't know the answer to that. I probably should know the answer to that, but I don't. And uh and then a couple of other times he just gave answers that were just not in his best interest. And he really yeah. he really I thought he came off as pretty sincere. When I heard that they were all appearing before Congress, I was like, oh, man, this is nuts. Like, well, this is, and they should. I mean, like, it's both sides are pissed off at him for different reasons. Well, let me, so let me, let me just sense. give you, let me give you a couple highlights that may, may uh, provide some, a little more incentive for you to actually do that. There was this one class of highlight <laughs> that I didn't even know about. I mean, this is how out of touch I really am on these things that, you know, Congress has been investigating. They, they've had some, you know, year long investigation on a whole slew of issues relating to these companies. I didn't, one, I didn't know that. Two, the number of times that something was discussed in which 
and this was specific, well, actually it was specific to Google, Facebook, and uh, Amazon, is they're, they're just absolute bullying of companies and competitors. Uh, examples were um, Zuckerberg was quoted, I don't recall what he said, but it was when they were negotiations to purchase Instagram. And apparently yeah. he said something like, well, we can either continue just to, to develop our competitor product of, you know, the product that will compete against you with and probably win, or you can sell to us at this price. Yeah. Um, either we will destroy you eventually yes. because we have extremely deep pockets and we're going to build something that's going to be better, or you can just sell it. You can just give up the game and try to collect something now. Exactly. The worst was the number of times when the question made clear that the results of this investigation showed how these companies, they have access to so much data that they can basically just sit back and watch like what companies are doing well with what products. You know what I mean? Like who's hot? They oh yeah, can, this they, is like what Amazon does. Yeah. Oh yeah. So basically they just sit back and they cherry pick and it's like, okay, well, th we'll do this. We'll, we'll build this product that competes against that company. They can't possibly compete with us once we get rolling. And that apparently that's just happened a lot of times which makes perfect sense to me that, that a company in that position would do exactly that. If you have access to all the analytics in terms of, oh my gosh, like, look at this incredible flurry of, of purchases of this product over here. And this is this little company in Milwaukee and they make this thing. And we can, man, we can have that made in China tomorrow. Yeah, whatever, they have all the relationships. They have the whole it, yep. you know, infrastructure to fulfill it and ship it. They have all the traffic, they own everything. And it's classic. It's classic monopoly. And and at the end of the hearing, closing comments that were made by whoever the chairman of the whole day's processions was, his comments came off to me. I mean, he said it outright that, you know, based on this, the whole anti-monopoly language in the law was designed for these four guys right here. He says, you know, 50 years ago, we had Rockefeller and Morgan, and, you know, he rattles off a list of those, you know, the robber barons or whoever the hell they were. Yeah. And and he just, he drew a straight correlation to those four guys who were still on screen. <laughs> and, and this thing went on for five hours. And these guys, there was no, well, they did have, I think, a one 10-minute break. It was all they, all, the only break they took the whole time. And these oh, guys are just, a, they're just a slave to their desk. They're just sitting there. And they have no idea where the next question's going. They don't have any idea who's going to ask what. So they're just sitting there waiting, you know, am I going to, is the next question for me? And I mean, there was some drama in this thing. I'm kidding, not kidding you. It was far more entertaining than you might think. Damn. The, um, I mean, these guys are basically like the railroad from like the exactly. 18, you know, 90s. Everything in, in Silicon Valley comes from this growth concept. But the problem with uncontrolled growth is that it's also known as cancer. The cells in your body work together fine until one of them decides to go haywire grows way too much and then disrupts the entire ecosystem within your body. Like that's, that's basically what kind of is going on here. Like in, in, and it kind of has gone beyond normal competitive advantages. Like the fact that Amazon has all of that data is, is kind of nuts. Like you, I mean, I've heard this, this been be argued before from other people, which is like in order to have an actual efficient market, you all parties have to basically be able to compete on equal footing. And the idea normally is that even if you have a very large company, like let's think of IBM and Microsoft, like IBM was the most powerful business computer company on the planet. Yep. And Microsoft was able to sort of outfox them in the marketplace because it knew a handful of things that other companies 
that, you know, that, that IBM didn't know and couldn't see and was too big to understand. And so Microsoft was able to create a market position for itself that became extremely valuable into the you know, into the 90s and then obviously into the new millennium. And so that was possible because IBM wasn't able to, wasn't aware of the market changes and wasn't able to move in the way that I, that, that Microsoft was. But let's imagine that IBM had access to complete data, that they could see what people were searching, they could see what people were interested in, they had a complete beat on all of that. There's no way that Microsoft would have succeeded. IBM would have gone, well, here's what the trends are saying in yep. terms of what people are interested in. We might as well just develop a product around that. Right. They would have and, built the personal computer before Microsoft did. That's exactly what they would have done. Yeah, that's exactly what they would have done. No, you're right. You're right. And it's it's the advent of this data that is, that is you know, controlled and accessible really in an unencumbered fashion by just a couple of companies in the world that have that kind yep. of access. Basically. But that's what I'm talking about is like the there's this quote that I really like, which is, if you owe the bank $100,000, that's your problem. But if you owe the bank $100 million, that's the bank's problem. Yeah, like, true. There is something about this where like the, 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 the existence of these entities in, our, in the marketplace warp the rules of market around them. Because they, they yep. the gravitational pull that they have now is such that it disrupts the environment around them. And so it's like you can't – like the normal rules don't apply anymore because it's just – it's impossible. There, it is functionally impossible to compete with Google. It is functionally impossible to compete with a Facebook. It is functionally impossible to compete with a Amazon. It doesn't mean that there aren't other companies which can also exist and make money. Right. And there are opportunities that these giants, you know, like like lamprey eels didn't need to exist before there were huge sharks in the ocean. You know, like they, they, there was an opportunity that was created in the fishing ecosystem. Right. Because sharks existed and some of the scraps that they ate fell off the side of them and lamprey eels could take advantage of that. But, you know, the, the problem is that that's exactly what everything is left over is it's like the, this massive amount of of. Of, of market is being taken up by these companies. There's a handful of different people I've seen talk about this. Peter Thiel is one of them. He's a big time into accusing. I mean, he even owns like a tremendous amount of Facebook. But Peter Thiel is the one of the first investors in Facebook. He owns a company called Palantir, which does a ton of um, venture capital investing. He's like a billionaire. Right. He's been um, an early in guy in a lot of stuff. He was early in on PayPal. And yeah, he was one a of the PayPal of mafia. Things. Yeah, he was these one of these guys, and he he's fascinating to listen to. I bring this up because he has been accusing even of Facebook the idea that they they're out of in they're out of ideas, like there there's no functional innovation going on at these companies any longer. And it kind of makes sense because it's like, look, I mean, I know you don't agree with evolution, but part of the thing that I think is interesting about evolution is that when there's a successful pattern that a species inhabits, it doesn't really change until it has to. Things right. that didn't evolve because they didn't need to. Yeah, well, they're like little things. Yeah, exactly. They didn't need to change. Like whatever, at, at some point in the deep evolution, you know, deep history of the planet, these things developed and they didn't need to change because they were such a successful uh, model and such a successful design that it just they had no reason to. The point that I'm making and really beating to death at this point is <laughs> is that these companies have no reason to innovate. They're not in a so market system that is yeah, that is not requiring them to to change or to innovate or to or whatever. I mean, all they're doing is absorbing other companies. Yep. They're not 
they're not actually changing or innovating in in themselves and and that's become the pathway to riches if you're an entrepreneur yeah, is so I'm going to create a company and eventually it's going to be bought by a larger company. Yep. That's just how I'm going to become rich. Yep. Well, that's pretty much I think what most people start out, you know, most people who are entrepreneurs, that's the dream. The dream yep. is to build something to sell it, not to necessarily build it to make it successful because, you know, and that's it can be a lot more work and and you're right. I mean, I think that when companies reach a certain critical mass, it makes more sense and it's just easier. It's just easier. If you have unlimited capital, which all of those companies literally do, they can buy anything except maybe each other. Other than that, they can buy anything. And so if I were running those companies, I would do exactly the same thing that they're doing. You just sit back, analyze, watch, look at the data, which company has the most promise, buy it or replicate it or attempt to buy it at cents on the dollar. And then when the owners refuse, that's when you threaten them and say, well, all right, well, then we'll just recreate this ourselves. I mean, we could probably do it in a month and then you'll be out of yeah, business. Yeah, I mean, unless, of course, the company could just go, yeah, let's just, we're just going to recreate it now anyway. I mean, this is basically what they've done with men's fashion. Like I wore, I, I own a bunch of Amazon basics and Amazon essentials clothes, clothing. Like they have their own clothing line called Good Threads. And I'm wearing a Goodthreads heavy flannel right now. It cost me $47, and it's great. It's like the best flannel shirt jacket I've ever owned. But the truth is that if I was going to go buy from a Carhartt, which would be almost exactly comparable in terms of quality, it mm -hmm. would probably be, I don't know, $30 more or something like really? that. I mean, just, just yesterday I was thinking about buying a pair of tech chinos from Dockers, which are like 40 bucks because it's just a little chilly up in Manistee. Uh -huh. And then I looked at Goodthreads has almost the same exact pair for $17. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they just, they know everything about these products and companies. They have all the data and they know that they can just go, they can go barter a better deal because they're dealing with, you know, the similar companies, but with way more product and from a far better bargaining position. It's the same thing that Walmart did in terms of yep. bargaining down prices from all kinds of of different people. They just had such a huge footprint. They're warping and changing the relationship that companies have with their manufacturers. Totally agree. Let's just decide we're going to create the next Amazon in this bile of our competitors. Sounds really easy, doesn't it? I think that's a great idea. You know what? I think let's, why would I have a different life plan at this point? I know. You know what I mean? Let's create the next <laughs> Amazon. It shouldn't take too long, should it? Uh, two, three weeks, maybe. Well, what's scary know. in all this, what really is scary in all this is the fact that I think that the entrepreneurial playing field not that long ago felt sort of open. I mean, like when I say not that long ago, I'm talking maybe 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, which in my estimation is not that long ago. Yeah, it's not that. That's, it really it's, isn't. It's within the, that's recent enough that someone could have started a business within that time, grown it a little bit, and now have hit the wall because the environment's yep. changed. Yep. And now I think it's it's very different because if you create anything that is viral in terms of popularity, I do think there's just a really good chance that you're going to get either bought out or crushed and either bought out, bought out, you know, sounds like, well, that's what's nothing wrong with that. Well, it just depends, you know, because maybe your dream included several other iterations that you just can't, you cannot pursue now because you have to make a choice because there's a gun to your head, which is yeah. either sell, sell right now and maybe even get an okay price. But if you'd kept going in a, you know, in a, in a vacuum, maybe in 10 years, your company would have been worth 10 billion instead of the uh, 20 million that Google's going to pay you today. Yeah. So who knows how yeah. many of those situations have happened, you know, where a company 
it just doesn't reach its manifest destiny because it it just didn't have the opportunity to. And, and that, that's sad because really prior to watching that with the guys from Google and, you know, et cetera, in front of Congress, whatever that's called, I didn't realize the extent of these things that I mentioned earlier in terms of all these instances where companies were basically, you know, just put out of business. Again, one could argue that many of them did okay, but I just wonder in the long run, uh, and now I'm, it's weird, I'm starting to sound like you, because yeah, th yeah, this is something to... <laughs> this is something you would say is like you know the, the, it's funny because the, the the observation I've made about you since we restarted the podcast the new observation like what changed in in you since since we were last doing doing the podcast consistently I'm straight now uh, you are well congratulations <laughs> I didn't know no is the fact that you use the term community a lot and you have clearly. Uh, embrace this philosophy that I would describe as communityism. There's this intellectual perspective that you have on, on seemingly most things, which is, hey, what's best for the community? And 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 I and, and I have total respect for that. It's not how I view things, but it's mm -hmm. not. But it's but I don't think it's wrong. I don't think it's crazy. I just think it's a different perspective. But it's funny because that's something that I don't remember you saying Talking about as much. No, no. And you've mentioned it multiple times in our recent conversations. That's it. I think that's a good observation. Here's kind of how I think about it. I think that the logic of the type of capitalism, the consumer capitalism that the United States has been running in the last 50 years has reached its late stage conclusion, which is you're fucked. Nobody gives a shit about you. None of your efforts actually matter because there are far more resource entitled people, people who have far more resources at their disposal to pursue their ends and their giant movements incidentally can destroy anything you're working on. Yeah, because true. that's true. A change in the Google algorithm can fuck your entire business. Oh, my End God. You story. know how many times that's happened to people? Yeah, and exactly. And it's like and it's not out of malice. It's like nope. Google just changed a thing. Uh, somebody moved a one to a zero and a comma in yep. their algorithm. And now you're fucked. Yep. No, like, that's absolutely I, I, true. There was a guy who I worked with, just a real quick story. His, um, he had a channel called Bricks 101. He would build Lego stuff, and he had a really amazing channel on YouTube with literally like half a million subscribers who would just want to tune in every week to see him build some cool shit, and he would give plans for how they could build it, and it was just really cool. And he was pursuing partnerships with Lego and some other cool things that were going on and uh, had lots of sponsors and followers. And at some point in the last two years, about two years ago, this time of year, YouTube just changed its algorithm and his, wow. the amount of traffic he got just plummeted. And then they changed one other thing and like three quarters of his, his movies, his uh, videos got demonetized. So it didn't matter how many people he wa who watched them. It just, they weren't going to pay him. I was just like, what can you possibly, what can you do? And he's like, oh, he's like, I, I, there's nothing I can do. He's like, I hired a lawyer. I hired, he's like, I'm involved in a giant class action lawsuit with a whole bunch of other people who lost thousands of dollars in monthly income based on the fact that they just decided they didn't want to monetize your videos anymore. And they didn't really give a very good reason. And he appealed it. And then there's no human being to talk to here. Yep. And like, that's. That, I mean, that's crazy. I guess the thing that, that hits me over the head when I hear stories like this is the kind of values that you and I have that, you know, I say you and I both because I think you and I both have them, but also you and I, meaning you, the listener, and I, the speaker, 
all of us people in America talk about and and appreciate like hard work and perseverance and yep. steady, conscientious piety, working toward a, yep. a building value for yourself and for others. That doesn't matter in a world that giant monsters can walk through and destroy your farm in any moment. It's almost like trying to have a farm when there's a fucking dragon hanging out around. Like the dragon come and burn your farm and it doesn't care. Right. And it doesn't affect it. It doesn't change its life at all. You know, in a world in which dragons existed, our, our, we, would, we would all get together and say to ourselves, nothing of value will happen in any of our lives as long as this dragon can come down at any moment and just burn the whole town down. So we got to go kill it. That's the first thing we got to go do because it doesn't matter what else we do. But the one complicating factor is that dragon was actually hatched and grown by Jeff Bezos and Sergey Brin and Larry Page. Yep. And they own it. And there's a whole bunch of laws that are protecting their ownership of that dragon. And yep. if the dragon burned your farm down, sorry, I, you know, it's, we didn't mean to do that, but, but I mean, like the analogy breaks down, but you see the point. It's like, oh yeah, that's the situation that we're existing in. So it's weird because I try to have this argument with my dad a lot where there's this, this quote by Aristotle, which is every virtue carried beyond its reasonable conclusion becomes vice where it's like, look, hard work matters, but hard work to the exclusion of also considering what other people's responsibilities and duties are to the community doesn't matter because I can be the hardest working farmer in the town, but if the dragon comes down that's owned by three other people in the town and burns everybody down, you know, burns my whole thing down, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter how hard I worked because, you know, and it doesn't, and it doesn't matter how hard Jeff Bezos worked to raise that dragon. You know what I mean? He might've, he might've given everything he had and more and and almost sacrificed everything he had in his life in order to make that dragon possible. But now that it exists, it's not fair to other people to allow that to continue. And so, because I've been saying community a lot and thinking about community a lot, because I think that the excuse the type of capitalism that has been run in the last 50 years has been to the exclusion of thinking about the community almost at all. If it was thought about at all, it was like the last thing that was thought about, which is obviously it's good for people to build successful companies. Obviously it's good to allow companies to build up market positions that are extremely strong. Obviously these things are good. Well, they're not obviously that good if they end up completely warping the way that we all are able to make a living and and work on things in our own lives. I don't think it's obviously good anymore. And it doesn't mean that they should be done away with, period. I'm just not saying I'm not saying that. I don't think it should be like, well, we need to go kill the dragon and Jeff Bezos doesn't deserve anything. We should eat the rich or something. But that's part of the reason why a lot of people who have those messages and feel that way, feel that way is because I think they accurately feel that there is not a chance to actually compete in the world. And they do accurately feel that none of these companies give a shit about them. And actually, in fact, it's even worse than that. Their data is part of the reason these companies are so rich. Right. I'll get off. They've the contributed. They've contributed to the successes of the Amazons of the world oh, by completely. merely by merely living their lives. Yeah, just by existing and living yep. their in living their lives, and like Andrew Yang, former Democratic yeah, yeah. Uh, candidate for president, talks about this. Where if we were to pass a digital rights act, which is one, you have the right to your data, your your data, the data that is generated from you, you own. And, and in a weird way, just to back up before we even move past that point, let's do a thought experiment. You have a phone on you. It's watching everything you do. It's arguably maybe listening to oh, what yeah, you do. Oh, it absolutely is listening. Say, would you say that again? It absolutely is listening because Siri wouldn't work otherwise. 
Yeah, exactly. Alexa wouldn't work otherwise. Siri exactly. wouldn't work otherwise. So yep. these things are collecting data on you all the time. You've asked Jeff Bezos to install a listening device in your home. It's it's super bizarre, but that's the case. It's following everything you do. It's following your clicks. It's following your mouse as it moves across the screen. It's It's taking all of your data. Let's imagine that instead of that occurring, Jeff Bezos dispatched a team of people to follow you around every day and to and to to catalog everything you did. Not only would you not want to live in that world because of the bizarre invasiveness of those people, but I think that your argument that you're and you know, especially if Jeff Bezos was getting rich off the team of people that followed you around, I think your argument reasonably would be, look, if Jeff Bezos is following me around all day and and what I'm doing is causing him to get rich, I think I deserve some of that money. And I think that that would be a reasonable argument to make in that circumstance. It's not too big of a leap to say I agree. That's, it, that's that's what's happening with your phone. So Andrew Yang's argument that you deserve to own some of your data is totally makes sense. The second part of that, though, is that he goes, if that's the case, then what we really ought to be doing is charging those companies to to use our data. And if we were doing that, those companies would not be even close to as profitable as they are now. And maybe the truth of the situation is that because they have teams of people following us around, tracking our every move, and they're monetizing that information to sell it to other people, then they're actually not in that profitable of a business if they, if you, the product, deserve some of the, the profit. And I, I think that that's totally reasonable. I think that that's a completely reasonable way to think about the problem. I doubt anybody said anything like that to them in the congressional hearing. I don't recall that being said, and I agree with everything you said. I really do. I think that makes perfect sense. And the only thing that I would add and I'm not adding this to the last thing you said, but to the thing you said before that thing, is when you said, I'm not saying you should just tear the whole thing down or throw the whole thing out or however you phrased it. That's what I was gonna say is, let's assume that we're on the same page on, on 95% of what you just said, because we really are. Yep. What's the, what's the fix? The fix I think you think is something that would be far more aggressive than what I would recommend, because what I would recommend would be simply the enforcement of the anti-monopoly laws that exist. Because if you mm. if you broke up all of those companies and created multiple additional significant players in each of those respective niches, that could change things somehow. It yeah. doesn't it does not address specifically your point about hey who owns the data but I view that as a sort of a second a separate argument and and I think you and I are actually in complete agreement on that point because I've just never heard it articulated quite as well as you just did and I mean I you know I did, I've never followed Yang to know what he stood for but like yeah. I like that thinking I think that makes perfect sense and I think that actually could that could remedy a lot of the problems that we have that are specific to Google and yep. uh, and Amazon. Yeah, I actually I think that's a pretty everything you said is pretty reasonable. I actually don't know what the answer to this is. Been thinking about this a lot lately. I I really don't know. How do you break up a Facebook? Like people don't. The people yeah. only want to join or oh, belong I know. to. I, I agree. Yeah, like a social platform that other people are on. It right. doesn't make sense. Like there has to be a certain critical mass of people that are on it because it. It doesn't matter otherwise. I agree. No, you're right, because the concept is so good. I have had bad, negative feelings about Facebook for a while. And yet, I mean, and, and I've said things, you know, I've, I've made comments about, oh, I'm done with Facebook or, you know, things like that. And I have, in all honesty, I have cut way down on my posting. But but that's not because of Facebook. Well, not for the reasons we're talking about. The reason, I mean, yeah. 
the the that's that's for the being that's for the the what being on Facebook does to your life. Well, that and also <laughs> the, just the fact that there's it, you know, and I, I think you and I are going to disagree on this because you you made a comment earlier in which you effectively said that, but there was a lot of conversation in those uh, those uh, congressional hearings about this the silencing of of conservative voices. So you know that's my, that's my big reason is the fact that there's such obvious bias in my opinion against con- the conservative point of view. And that point yeah, was that, just that, hammered. That, I can't think of the guy's name. He was probably the most hardcore dude there, you know, hardcore conservative. He was really aggressive in terms of his questioning. And it was very, I thought he was very effective. And then later I read that I think his number one donor is Google. Huh. And and he was, and he, and, and I learned that because he, I watched a video in which he was responding to, to uh, you know, questions about that. He's like, yes, I do. I mean, he didn't deny it. And as I watched the proceedings, you know, I saw nothing in his behavior that was compromised, you know, that, that appeared to be a compromise because he was the most aggressive guy there. Mm. But the thought occurred to me, you know, this is where I kind of got a chill at my spine because I'm afraid I'm right. And that is, you know, so much of politics is it's just appearance. It's like, oh yeah, we're gonna kick the shit out of these guys on national TV, and you, Mike McClure, are gonna watch and you're gonna cheer it on, and you're gonna be like, I was, I was posting on Facebook as it was happening, and I was like saying, like, oh my gosh, this, this, the CEO from Google is just getting pummeled, and then I wrote other stuff like that, but then I thought, but what if all of that was just a show? Yeah, it's just political theater. Yes. I came away from that. In fact, I even said, I wrote this on Facebook. I said, you know, I really think something's going to come of this. I think something's going to happen here. I think there's going to be some antitrust, you know, steps taken to break something up. I don't know what. But then I thought, you know what? Again, like you just said, political theater, that it was just to make people like me think. Think that something was happening. And like, oh, yes, progress is being made. But at the end of the day, we'll check back in in a month and... There'll be no change in anything, or or or, or there'll be uh you know Facebook will be fined five hundred million dollars, or yeah, which a, is for that company is a drop in the bucket. It, it doesn't is, matter. It's fucking change in the couch, and yeah. it's yeah it's irrelevant, and that's that, and that's my yep. fear is that that's really the that's really what we're watching, and it makes perfect sense if 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 I'm correct because remember, the companies that make the most money, are the ones that just pure logic, common sense. They're the ones that are that are contributing the most to politicians. That's just the way it fucking works. I guarantee you that every one of those companies had probably made campaign donations to every single person who was there to question them. Oh, probably. And, yeah. and probably every other congressperson or senator, same deal. They, they probably, I mean, that's an, I mean, that's an age old tactic where, you know, companies contribute to everybody. So it's like companies don't even give a shit. It's like, I don't care if, if it's, it's a Democrat or a Republican who wins because I'm contributing to everybody. So no matter who wins, I got somebody I can pick up the phone and call. And it, yeah, when you I, have that I much money. This, yeah, I think it's just, it's just so fucked, man, because I think that you're right about that. I don't think it's it's funny because I don't get the feeling that it's completely like, that rigged. Yeah, I don't think it's that rigged. If it was that rigged, it would create its own reality wherein we knew it wasn't real like it just mm. i th- i think that i think that the difficulty of making it look like theater would never pass the uncanny valley yeah and i, like, I think I, that, I, no i totally I, disagree with you and i'll tell you 
I mean, I, this is one I'm super confident that I'm right on, and I'll tell you why. Just look at everything that's going on in the, in, in the world right now. I mean, there's so much shit happening that is outrageous and makes no sense. Let's just talk about one little example. So I want you to answer this question honestly. You tell me how in the fuck governors in several states, including your home state and mine of Michigan and New York, and I'm assuming others that I just don't know about, those mm -hmm. governors made decisions to put people with coronavirus into nursing homes. Mm -hmm. Now, if that isn't the single stupidest thing you've ever heard, it's so, it's so outrageous that it can't be accidental. I want you to tell me your argument in favor of doing that. You're a very well, smart so hold person. On. So, 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 so hold on a second. So the, the, what you're saying is that the, there are a number of governors, including Whitmer, who yep. have... And are still, to this day, doing it. Who, who are a actively putting, or are yes. they like... They're actively like injecting people into nursing homes that have coronavirus. Got it. Okay, because what I'm finding when I just do a cursory search of this is just apparently it looks like she's vetoed a bill that would prevent people from going in. Correct. But I don't see anything that yes. says that they're actively right. Like there's she, no program. Well, the, to put the reason in there. that that happened, she vetoed people who were trying to stop her from continuing it. Uh huh. So I mean, there's smoke on that fire just from that alone. And, and mm -hmm. I'm am telling you that this is a. I mean, it's a it's a it's a pretty big deal because like in Michigan is not the is not the best example. New York is because of the the metrics there. Number of people in nursing homes who have died. And yeah. so it's it, really high. It's really the, the yeah. center of the, yeah. yeah, it's the center of the epidemic. So um, my point we're getting a little bit away from the point. My point was I thought your point was prior to that that if things are that crazy it would be obvious to us. Well, I mean, I, I think this example I'm giving you is insane. And yet, it doesn't even garner that much conversation. I mean, it does garner conversation. It doesn't garner nearly as, enough, um, as much as I think it should. And so I think there are plenty of examples out there of shit that's just crazy. And I mean, the whole, you know, the whole uh, pedophile island thing. I didn't want to open the door to that. But I mean, we talked about this before, right? Do you watch that the Netflix series? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've watched that documentary. The insanity of that. I mean, the fact that the fact that how many people were aware of the fact that he's bringing all these underage girls in and they, they interviewed those guys who worked on the island. You know, like one guy was like a electronics person. Oh, yeah, and he was like, communication. it was like weird. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he quit. Like... He quit because of, you know, some conversation he had with some other person who worked there and they were just talking about, I don't know what it was, like seeing Clinton with some girl or, I mean, it was something that outrageous. Of, yeah, it was like Prince Andrew and he saw Bill Clinton with some 16-year-old yeah. topless yeah. girl on the island. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, that's yeah. What it was, something like that. But yeah, I mean, it's like that That also is just outrageous. And you look at the people who are on the you know travel manifest, you, you look at, like I saw, I saw something that was really interesting, which was, it was one of those like photo grids, you know, like a big square full of little portraits of people. And it was like, yep. here are the people who have, who are known to have been on that island. I mean, it was just yeah. So so okay. So hold on. So I can see where you're going with this. I just uh, let me. I guess let me say it like this. So this is why this is appears weird though. Like I think you and I are maybe slightly talking past each other in in this in the sense that it's like, I said, look, if, the, if that hearing were a complete charade, 
it would feel, I think we would know if we were watching it. I think we would get a feeling that this something about this doesn't seem right. Maybe. But what I think is the case is that when we hear things about Jeffrey Epstein, we go, something about this doesn't seem right. And what doesn't seem right is that it's probably, it's pretty patently obvious that really powerful groups, probably on all sides of the aisle, yep. but especially um, with, I mean, I would agree with the Clintons and with, Prince Andrew and probably other powerful parties were tied to Epstein in a number of ways that just they just want to end. So I could agree with you also that that the the agenda, the national conversation is being skewed and distorted in a number of ways that are attempting to completely divert attention yep. away from other more important conversations that need to be had. I could, I, I could totally agree with that. Yeah. I think there, there is like a weirdness that comes from looking at things like identity politics where you're like, look, pre- police reform is a real issue and we need to really deal with it. Like that's, it's just, just true. It's just, we do like the United States is a backwards police force in many ways compared to the rest of the developed world. But, but the ways in which this thing is happening and being pushed and, and, and being pushed around and the same from the other side with like anti-mask arguments and things like this. Like these these things don't seem to noticeably correspond to reality in any way, and that's why they seem fishy. Like I I think that's probably true. We should do a whole episode about it though, because yeah. there's a lot of sh- there's a lot of shit to talk about there. Well, and I just want to make one comment there, and that is this: that for all the people out there, which I think there's a fair number of people who would look at that story on its face and just reject it categorically because it's too outrageous to be true. I just think that is incredibly naive, and I think if you just if you just do the a minimal amount of what I would call true intellectual analysis of human behavior, this is this is as simple as as it is in my mind, is that if first of all, what's the kind of person that aspires to be a high level politician? Because most people at this point, most people who were trying who would go into politics for what I would call you and I would agree would be the right reasons. Yeah. We'll make a change. Idealistic reasons. Yes. Let's say. I think those people, I don't want to say that they're extinct, but I'd say they're going to be extinct soon because they won't even try. Because they Dude, lo- they're also not going to get, like, I, and I it, just don't, I find it difficult to believe that they would get much higher than state representatives. You know what I right, mean? Right, right, like, right. Because they, they, at some point, you have to have a sponsor. You have to have somebody who is, you know, who is a, you know, a George Soros level player who has decided that you're good enough to be on my team. So I'm going to bankroll all of your campaign finances. I'm going to make sure you get elected. I'm going to give you the best people for your advertising, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's how that game is played. And so I think that all the people who are in it for the right reasons, for them, not all, but most, and certainly in the future, I think it will be all, those people are just out. They get they get, they dip their toe in that pool and they realize how dirty the game is. They don't want any part of it. It's like fuck it, I'm just out. So that just leaves mm. people who aren't the idealistic ones, which are just the power crazy ones who are willing to endure the bullshit that they have to go through in terms of character assassination and attack ads and all that shit that has just become the norm. So you've got to have that type of personality to even pursue that game. So yep. think about that personality type of just power hungry, typically incredibly narcissistic, sociopathic probably in many cases, and I mean that literally. And and so that type of personality, oh my gosh, I, I it makes so much sense to me that that type of personality would end up 
on a pedo island where it's like, fuck yeah, show me these 14, 16-year-old girls. I'll fuck as many as you'll give me. Because it's like, to me, it would be like, I've made it. Because again, that type of personality is not really typically first and foremost concerned with morality. It's all about power. Oh, yeah, no, there, there, there is no morality for right. somebody like that. Those no. people believe that they're, exactly. they're the, you know, Nietzsche's ubermensch and yeah. that they create their own morality. Exactly. That's exactly correct. So and do you agree with me that you can see how somebody would end up in a, on, on an island like oh, that? Oh, totally, man. Because yeah, it, totally. It's the, ultimate, it's the ultimate insider's club. Let's imagine you're Bill Clinton, okay? And, let, and, let's, and let's get rid of, uh, just for a second, let's pretend that it isn't, uh, underage girls and let's, you know, let's just take that moral question out of this. And let's, let's, let's even imagine you're a Bill Clinton, but you're a moral Bill Clinton in the sense that you, you don't have any desire to hurt people or anything like this, or, 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 or you care whether or not you hurt them. Okay. Let's just say that just as a thought experiment, just follow me down this rabbit hole for a second. All right. You're incredibly powerful. You're ultra connected. You have tons of, I mean, tons of money, tons of wealth. You're an extremely public figure. You have absolutely no opportunity to take advantage of those things in your own life to try and use them to, 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 to gratify yourself sexually. There's just no way to do it. You, you're, you're too at risk. You know what I mean? Yep. It, it's almost like you have to have a, a, some situation that exists outside of you know, the norm. life or the world, yeah, in order for you to take advantage of that. But then if you add to that the fact that these people probably are sociopathic, um, you know, at least have no regard for fellow feelings, probably, um, they feel super powerful, so there's no sense of caring to what they're doing in the world. And then add to that this, like, desire to be like, oh, yeah, I can just, I'm just going to get the hottest, youngest chicks that I want. Um, that's how you get Epstein's Island. I mean, that's how that, that's why that thing ends up coming together. I totally agree with every word of that. Yeah. I had this conversation with Bill, friend of the show about this and I, I really weirded him out because he was like, dude, can you even fucking believe this guy did this? I'm like, completely. Oh yeah. I can completely see it. Oh yeah. Like I, I, it doesn't mean that I like want to do it or recreate it in my life, but like, I don't think we should be acting like it's bizarre. Like, you know what? Kublai Khan had like an entire harem of girls as young as like 13. Like that happened in the you know Middle Ages in in China. Like right. it's, that wasn't that long ago. No, you know, are no, we I, supposed to be that different from that dude? Like we're all per, humans are all pretty much the same. Like I, I agree. No, it's, I, it's, I it's, think I think we people, should not act like it's bizarre or abnormal. It is. That's exactly why we have to guard against it. Is because those things are not bizarre and they're normal. Exactly. I totally agree with that. And I think it's you know what that you know what this is. I mean that the whole like shock. That or shock or maybe pseudo shock that people have it. Oh my God, can you believe that? That's just an offshoot of this political correct bullshit, which distorts reality to such an extent. When you know, I just had this this thought the other day, which is you know all this cancel culture and people getting attacked for things they said in the past or even for things they said yesterday. Like mm. who among you can cast the first stone because you're fucking perfect? It's yep. nobody. And yet, somehow, that's just been categorically skipped over, you know, by this whole class of people who are, again, looking to be triggered. And, you know, it's one thing to be legitimately upset about something. It's another to seek it out, which, I mean, you know, I think we agree on this, that like I said it earlier in, you know, in, in this conversation about 
people, I mean, people are just looking. It's a sport. It is a sport. Who Can I be first to attack that person for what they just said? I mean, I can feel people just sitting at their keyboards. Like, who can I attack next? Who, who, oh, yeah. who said, who, who, who said the, or even like Chris, uh, I can't never pronounce his last name. Delia? Chris Delia. Delia. Yeah, Chris Delia. So you know his story. Oh, yeah, I know his story, yeah. You know, so, so he's been, he's been uh, named, or I don't, again, I don't even know all the details. I just oh, a lot of, a lot of comedians in the LA comedy scene have been, man. They've been coming for Brian Callen. They've been coming for Chris D'Elia. They've been coming for a whole bunch of people. Right. But it's the. I mean, in between you and me, I mean, Chris D'Elia, I think is. I mean, I met him one time, and I think he totally did that shit. And he he seems like a total creep. When I met him, I was like, this guy is so slimy. Like, I met him for one time outside of the comedy store in L.A., and that was pretty much my exact feeling. Is I was like, this is the slimiest motherfucker. And like, you know, it's awful to say this, but like, there's a sixteen, there's a type of sixteen year old girl who just would love that feeling of a slimy dude like that being into her oh yeah and like let me put it this way i think it's fucked up and core and he he did a bunch of like fucked up and coercive shit but like he probably didn't have to do that much coercive shit right i don't think he did either and i'm what i'm ultimately going with this is that to me that guy is just another flavor of what we were just talking about in terms of you know pedo island it's just if you have access to things that most especially most men want i mean come on dude if you could if you could have sex with anybody you wanted would you really have that much restraint i mean maybe you would no i wouldn't i lived in new york dude i basically almost did could do that (laughs) well yeah and and i think that's just and again i'm not i'm not condoning that i'm not saying that that's the way you should do but nor am i saying the opposite either because to me that's just a judgment that we all have to make for ourselves so i don't i don't you know i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pretend to be you know some pious person that i'm really not i guess what i'm really saying is that i don't know that i'd be that different if i were in those positions of power yeah yeah, totally. and I don't I mean, think like he would be Bill either. Burbit. It's like that Bill Burbit where he's like, the only reason guys don't fuck all the time is because they can't. He's yeah. like, you know, yeah. he's like, well, you really you're beating them off with sticks as you wander to your mercury tracer. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> they're just it, there's something that's just the case. You know what I mean? Like, I have to admit that that's that that's true. I agree with you that I think there's this weird social patina of yep. you could of which you know, politically correct culture is creates and is part of that. Like it's fake. Yeah. It's just fake. And so there's this like weird, isn't this outrageous? And you're like, well, I mean, it's wrong. I don't know if it's outrageous. Like, it seems like it's kind of makes, you know, like I get it. And then like, I'll have to explain to people like, you know, listening to being a student of history is what disabuses you of these kind of modern views of things. When the Mongols took these Eastern European cities in the middle ages, like they, the shit that they did was like, it's insane. I mean, people really believed it was the end of the world. And that's why Genghis Khan was called the scourge of God. Like he, he came and he destroyed the city. And when the Mongols are killing people and making husbands watch their wives and daughters get raped and then killing them and castrating their sons and taking them into slavery in front of their eyes before cutting their heads off. Literally what they did. Genghis Khan said to these people, you must have done something terrible. You must have been horrible people for God to send a plague like me upon you. Like, (laughs) yeah, you, you must have been so evil because why would I be here to do this to you if you weren't? That's some interesting logic. Dude, I mean, it's just, it's it's crazy. because And that guy didn't, and here's the thing. 
He didn't lose. There was no poetic justice. 17% of the world's population are descendants from that man. You're kidding. 17% of the world's population are descendants from him because he just, he, he, he raped every woman who was in front of him and around him and given to him. Like, wow. he, just, he, just, he just did and could, and they all got pregnant and then they had his kids. I mean, wow. like that, it's crazy to think about this, Uncle Mike, because it's like, it disabuses you of so much. I mean, can you think of anything more nihilistic in the universe than to be like, here's all of these you know, you're, you're raised to believe that things will work out and people are good. And you're like, well, not for those people, not for any of those people. You know, they had completely decent lives. Many of those people are probably com- totally decent people, Christian people at yep. the time. Yep. And, and didn't deserve any of that. And then had it all happen to them. And the only reason I bring that up isn't to bring up this big, bizarre, heavy thing at the end of this podcast, but just to say like, we, we don't exist in a different world than that. Exactly. Like that, that's that we still live in that world. That isn't we're not different from those people. Like we're we're all, you know, more alike than we are different. And, and you know, Jordan Peterson makes this point where he's like that that photo. I don't remember, and remember if you if you know this or not, but there was like this photo that came out a while ago that showed a bunch of guards at Auschwitz in the mm-hmm. uh, winter of 44, I think, or 43. And they were singing and it's, you know, reveling and playing music and drinking, uh, you know, glue vine and things like this. And people, the internet like lost its mind that they were like, how could it be that these people who just committed the worst atrocity we can think of in the modern era were, you know, happy having a good time. Yeah. We're having a good time. Like it just, it, it, people, it boggles the mind for people to such dissonance to have this idea that they were maybe decent people or could enjoy good times, but then also did these horrible things. And you're like, dude, they're not monsters. Like, no, you, you know, in other times and circumstances, you could have been one of them. And and it's important to understand that, like, you could have been a guard just as easily as you could have been a prisoner at Auschwitz. Exactly. It's just a turn of fate and context. And yes, you know, the 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 social sort of patina that we all feel like is really meaningful is just totally illusory. And once that stuff starts falling apart, it could fall apart really quickly, which is, I think, what the. You know, it's like scary when the when the Balkan, uh, you know, whatever the civil wars were going on in the in the nineties and like Kosovo and uh, the former Yugoslavia and all of that and Serbia, like those people attest to the fact that they're like it was fine a few years ago and now it's like this. Like nobody had any idea how bad this was going to get this fast. Well, it's and, it's so funny. Well, one those observations were some of the some of the you know, most insightful and savviest observations that I've ever heard you make. And I've heard you make a lot of good ones. So that's a, that's a, compl- a big compliment. Secondly is, I, I mean, I just could not agree with you more. Third is, this is, the, you know, this is just one of the root evils of political correctness. And one of the reasons I hate it so much is because it it builds this collective glass house that isn't real. Yeah, and and we're we're making all these decisions and thinking in certain ways and moving in certain ways and making policy decisions like this whole. And again, I don't want to revisit this, but I just think it's a perfect example. It's a perfect example of people who have no fucking idea of what history is, when there's even a conversation about getting rid of police departments. I mean, have yeah. you? Have you, are you familiar with these human beings and what they do? Yeah. yeah. I mean, because they are, they yeah. are, they they are like a. Yeah, I, I know a bunch of them online, man. <laughs> well, but, but I mean, like, you know, they're incredibly efficient at filling vacuums so that, like, when the police are, go out, the criminals come in. I mean, duh. 
I mean, shit, are you kidding me? I mean, I'm sure you saw this, that the city of Minneapolis actually issued this notice that, oh, yeah. you know, said if you're, you know, if you're, if you're accosted, just give up your wallet and your phone. Don't fight back. Like when Did we get, really, oh yeah. Oh, I've seen that right. in 50 places, dude. And right. it's real. It's real. And so, uh, I mean, it's just crazy that this, all the, all of the thinking and posturing and, you know, and the attitudes that people have about, you know, about the goodness of human beings. And let's end on this note because what I'm, what I'm going to, dude, you're not kidding. This happened five days ago. Oh yeah. They just, they released this. Oh yeah. This is brand new. Um, because I think that they're literally going to eliminate the police department whole cloth. But in any yeah, event, well, good, but, goodbye, Minneapolis. Exactly. <laughs> but but this is the perfect segue to what I wanted to comment on at some point before we finished. And this is just the perfect ending of our conversation is literally the second I hang up on this podcast, getting in my car and I'm going and buying or going and picking up uh, $2,000 worth of shotguns um, that are sitting waiting for me two miles away. And why am I doing that? I'm doing that because... I'm aware of history, and it's yeah. so funny, it's so weird. Like when you when you said the whatever did you say the Balkans or whatever you said? I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was Serbia. I was thinking of, and again, I'm not a student of history, so I want to be clear about that. But I was thinking of that situation because it was the most recent situation I could think of that I thought could be what we could end up with in this country, mm. and, and I'm not, I'm not predicting that. I want to be clear, I'm not predicting that. I'm really not. But I don't want to take any chances because this is the kind of thing that the one the one the one decision you don't want to be late on is hey, you know what? I might want to get a fire. You should get some self protection. Yeah. I mean because <laughs> yeah. I mean because, you know, when all these people who are about to be, you know, in some point in the next few months displaced, uh, in terms of, you know, they're out of unemployment. They don't have any unemployment anymore. And they're out of money. And all the laws or the, or the executive orders or whatever that were created to keep people from being evicted prematurely, what happens when those people are evicted? And they got nowhere to go, and they have no money. And they're living in their car. Uh, uh, two cars, three kids. That's their entire existence. You think those people are going to just drive around in their cars? And they got no way to make money. Are they going oh, yeah. to allow themselves to starve to death in a car somewhere? No. They're going to do something. And I don't blame them because if I, had to, if I have to choose between committing a crime and surviving or dying, that's a really easy yeah. choice for most yeah, people. Yeah. So if we get to that point and people start going door to door, which I could see, I'm going to be ready. And, uh, and I, hate, I, I hate saying that, but I mean, to me, this is just pure pragmatism. This is just being realistic. I mean, shit, dude, you were, you, you were within, as you phrased it, earshot of mass uprising in Chicago. You oh, could yeah. you could hear it. Civil unrest. And yeah. It was, I, pretty, it was pretty 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 freaky, man. I have never been close to it. Well, I, I I was close to it, but not really. Uh not like you were. And it's like that's something I don't ever want to see. Because to me that would be fucking terrifying. The thought Dude, of and I just I had and this is what's so weird about the situation is like look, I can say on one hand that I think police reform needs to happen and that the, the <laughs> You know, there's, but you're there's not so fucking of... stupid that you're gonna say, "Oh, but we should get rid of them." <laughs> yeah, dude, and I feel so bad for them. Like lit literally, I, I, uh, you know, I was riding my bike through Chicago. I passed the uh, Addison, uh, Wrigleyville Police Precinct, and it was like a fortress. I mean, like they really? had, 
Yeah, and and because they were, I mean, I think that accurately they were like, well, here it comes. And when I was riding my bike by, I said good luck to all the police officers because I was like, dude, these guys are like, this is fucked up, man. Like, they don't know if somebody's going to bring a gun and start shooting at them and stuff. I mean, oh, that yeah. happened in Dallas a few years ago. Oh, yeah. And and just and, all this shit that's happened, you know, in Portland and, and all that crap. And, did, and I think we talked about this in the last podcast very briefly because I was referencing this friend of mine who lives in Portland. And he wrote a post, you know, on Facebook about enough is enough and that the the, the mobs are now heading to the suburbs. So when I when I saw yeah. that, I mean, that really got my attention. It's like, yeah, once that starts, I feel like if that shit starts happening, that's when a, I mean, that's when it goes pay. off the fucking rails because yeah, exactly. That's when someone like me uh, protecting my home will open fire on somebody because I, I mean, would. Well, yeah, it's insane, man. Like the. um yeah, I mean, I can see we'll 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 have to end this year because this could go down a whole other rabbit hole. Yeah. But um, this is a good episode. I feel like we covered a lot of covered yeah. a lot of ground. Once yeah. again, ended up on the end of the world. This imminent, but uh, is but, there, but it, how we got there is always why you tune in. Exactly, exactly. Well, as always, we really appreciate your listening to Unkfew, and uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode in the very, very near. Thank you.